Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 58 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Thanks for listening. You hear it on the show and throughout my fitness journey. I've met a lot of great people, made some of my best friends, a lot of my best friends actually now, and just a, a wonderful tribe of people trying to help others live a better life. And then within that, you run across certain people that you just feel a deeper connection with where you're just like, that is a solid human being, a genuine human being. And even though you don't get to spend a lot of time with or hang out with, you just have a, a special affinity for those people. Julian Cardis, you're, you're one of those dudes for me. And today's guest, Dustin Ripito, is also one of those people along with his wife, Kenzie. I met Dustin at an Indian club cert in 2011. And then at uh, the last third and final summit of strength that he hosted at his place at the time in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And for the last year and a half or so, Dustin's been dealing with end-stage kidney, kidney disease. It's gotten, he's had this for years, but it's just been hitting mission critical. And he needs our help. So I normally, in the beginning, talk about my courses and sales and blah, 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 and all that. CoachFury.com, catch up later. But what I would really like everybody to do uh, after this podcast is please take a moment and go to Facebook.com backslash Dustin Ripito Support Group. That's D-U-S-T-I-N-R-I-P-P-E-T-O-E Support Group. Facebook.com slash Dustin Ripito Support Group. And you can find out how to help uh, his GoFundMe. Uh, if you happen to be A or uh, O blood type, you can see about becoming a living donor. There's links there to check out stuff on, on the Mayo Clinic about becoming a kidney donor. Uh, I was really ill-informed Ill, Ill on what that entails. Um, but Dustin is an awesome dude. You're going to get to hear that right now. Uh, his son's only four and his wife's awesome. And A, I'm really glad that we had this chance to just talk. It's weird with this podcast sometimes where I catch up with my friends by talking to them on a show. Um, so when people are like, Hey, that sounds like you just guys were just talking in a car. It's cause that's what it is basically. But we're just using like a zoom video conference. Um, I'm rambling a little bit because this is a special one and I think we can help him. And if you know Dustin, you know exactly what I'm talking about in terms of his character. And if you don't know Dustin, I think you're gonna by the end of this be like, oh man, that, uh, let's help this dude, he's awesome. Um, and we're gonna be doing some courses and stuff together. So I don't want this to be all doom and gloom. He's gotta, you know, we just gotta pitch in and help this guy out. So facebook.com backslash Dustin Ripito support group. Go check it out. And here's episode 58 where I get to talk with my buddy, Dustin. This was a big thing for me. When I started going through courses, you know, uh, if, if you were to look up kettlebells, you would find Pavel's name, right? There was really, and, and then through that direct link through Dragon Door is how I got introduced to you and everybody else. When it was Ultimate Sandbag Training, it was Josh Hankin, you know, and you think these levels of approachability are so drastic, but it's so much easier than people realize to just like reach out to somebody and get to know them and befriend them and have conversations and share advice. And I think that's another part of this, this conversation that is, I hope somebody might feel, you know, if somebody feels intimidated talking to somebody that they might've uh, heard of before, but then they listen to them on the podcast and suddenly there's like a whole other uh, personal awareness of that individual. For right. A phrase. Absolutely. Um, which brings us down to us. <laughs> so we're, we're recording and we're going. 
And uh, just uh, why don't you tell the listeners, A, who you are and, and where you're at, like okay. uh, part, of, part of the country and what you're doing right now. All right. Well, there's a lot going on right now, but we'll get to it. My name is Dustin Ripito. Um, I've lived in Oklahoma the last 20 or so years. And in that time, I've been a trainer, martial arts instructor, and strength coach, and uh, various modalities. Uh, kettlebell mainly has kind of been my my mainstay, but um, I've done that for a while. Uh, we're in the transition of moving. We're, we just sold tomorrow at 3.30. We sell our business of 20-plus years, which is a gun range. Wow. Uh, both homes go with that. So we're in the middle of a transition. We just closed on a house yesterday. So we're moving to Tulsa. So across state for those who are familiar. Congrats. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. A great community of peers and folks over there that I love to train with. So I'm looking forward to getting back over there when I can train. So, And, and let them know uh, the place you're going to, the name of the... Oh, it's uh, of course. It's Tulsa. It's ACWA Tulsa, which is... Um, a friend of mine, Aaron's uh, new studio right there on the Riverwalk in Jinx. Amazing self-defense school that has tons of restorative arts and strength training along with the uh, really effective self-defense material. So That's amazing. It's uh, I listened to some BMX podcasts, I know, shocking. And in one of them, they were talking about touring. And apparently Tulsa is like a really cool town that I've only been to Oklahoma once, which was to visit you guys at the, way, uh, the Summit of Strength. But apparently Tulsa's got a lot going on. We should, we should fix that. You should come back out. <laughs> I, I mean, that has been the thing. So listen, <laughs> the way that Dustin and I met, so we first met, it was Indian clubs, right? It was the Indian club workshop. Uh, that so, sounds right. Dr. Certified, Thomas, right? Yeah. Yep. Certified Indian club, uh, certified Indian club specialist cert used to be a program offered by Dragon Door and sure. it was run by Brett Jones and Dustin, David Whitley and Jeff O'Connor. Oh, were, you were at the second one. Yeah, that was the second was one. The second one. Yeah. Right. Um, we're, we're, we're the, uh, assistant instructors and talk about now just in terms of like a team <laughs> for Indian club, sir. It was kind of amazing. Well, it's more like the hangover than it was a team, but sure. <laughs> and it was, um, I remember, I actually, I think I tested in front of you at, at like at the end of the cert, you know, it's two days of just kind of smoke coming out of your ears, learning how to really control your movements and yep. you have to go up and you have to perform, uh, five movements and Dustin was the the guy testing me but talk about we, we were just talking about this impression that you don't know about somebody and there were people in those early days because i was so new so this is like uh 2011 i'd been a trainer for maybe all of i started in september so maybe six months i'd been a part-time coach just on the verge of going full-time and super new only like a handful of courses under my belt like i think the i think i'd done an hkc an rkc a trx thing and dvrt which was left at the time. So, you know, there's like Iron Tamer and I'm kind of intimidated. And it's funny because like Dave and I are, are tight now. And, you know, Brett was sort of one of the bigger names uh, in, in the field, not just of kettlebells, but also within the FMS functional movement uh, screen. And uh, Jeff was just a dude who everyone knew was an amazing coach, but I, I didn't know anything about him. So I was like super intimidated. Um, but then obviously Brett has a really easygoing teaching style, very deliberate and it was a fun weekend because there was no strength test. So that always takes the edge off. It is. Justin gives off a really good energy of where on one hand, I'm like, I know you have a martial arts background. I'm like, this dude's strong and he carries himself very well. But like, it wasn't an intimidating way at all, um, which I appreciate because you do run into like martial artists that are very much like, this is my thing. Right. And, uh, and then the second time we didn't really get to know each other there, but. <laughs> 
uh, can you explain what the summative strengths were? There were three of them. Yeah, I think I was at the last one. We, 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 we Kinsey and I say three and a half. My wife, Kinsey, and I say three and a half because we, the original summative strength was David Whitley and Jeff O'Connor did a workshop at a gym I was affiliated with here in Oklahoma. And we got folks from all over the country to come. And based on the experience there, we started, that was the genesis. That was year zero, if you will, the Ashcan version, if you will. Then we, <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know how many listeners are going to get that reference, but I got it. You got it. It's all that matters. <laughs> totally. We don't know if anybody else is listening anyway. So uh, somebody will. Uh, you know, I keep saying there's 20 of us that I can guarantee will listen, but it'll go. It'll go more than that. But uh, I'm glad you said Ashcan and not hologram variant cover. <laughs> um, so we so we decided on the base of experience. It was just great. It was it was very much the the culture there was no strength test it was all pure learning and at the end of the day we everyone hang out and we and we we appreciated that we liked it so much that we started this thing called the summit of strength and we we drug on um, jeff newport and brett jones so it was david whitley brett jones jeff newport and jeff o'connor and that was the four so the next three years we did the summit of strength sold it out every year and we did various facilities near me but it just had a great time and we try to make it a very all inclusive experience. Like um, I rented a van. We picked people up from the airport. A lot of people got, got rides for me from the airport. We took them there. We had group dinner every night. Yeah. Uh, each guy had four blocks, four hour blocks. So like, you know, there's tons of learning. We did a bonus day on Friday. Originally it was just a few folks came in and then the last day it was just anyone who wanted to show up, just kind of open gym. What questions do you have? We did that the last couple of years. Yeah, it worked great, you know, and just uh, had a phenomenal experience. We tried to film it, and we were going to sell the film, but that did not ever work out very well. You know, just the learning curve there was pretty steep. Um, just the quality of the footage or the audio? Quality of the footage. Audio. We ended up giving it away to, to attendees, but it was not something we were, were comfortable selling. The, the audio quality wasn't the greatest, so it was tough to, tough to listen and learn that way. So. It's tricky. Yeah, so. it's a great, great experience. And from that, we've had, we still have connections. Kinsey still, like, you know, Facebook messages with folks from, those, from that era. And, um, you know, the last one was in 2012. So, yeah, I mean, I'm an example of that. Kenzie and I, like we message and, you know, through social media, uh, keep in touch and you've come on and off of social media. But the cool thing about these things was, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody realized it at the time, you know, the split happened shortly after sure. that last one, uh, right. the RKC and strong first split. And I don't know if any of that was in the works or not, but it was like, it's almost a shame that everybody doesn't get to, and I think it's dwindling. The like the brand drama, choosing sizes is, is is dwindling. It's just just go learn. I think that's yeah. definitely been rising over the over the times. But that 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 window where we were all, everyone coming in was basically part of this one thing was really right. cool, and it was just one level of like discussion you didn't have to have because you had done it, and it was right. real cool and it was super inviting. And I remember getting along with you and Kenzie really well. And then for the last bunch of years, we've been like trying to like, hell, how do, how do I get out there? We've talked about doing you know, DVRT and OS. We're still working on that. But uh, even just like, I got such a good vibe off of you and Kenzie that we were like, Kim and I were going to try to come out and just hang out and, you know, just... Well, we, we, have a, we have a room in the new house for you, so. Well, we're going to try to really take advantage of that. I mean, we're going to try to do courses, but Kim and I haven't had, one of the things becoming a full-time trainer is this, I haven't really been able to take a vacation. Like I, I get to travel, but the vacation side of it is like if I get to leave myself like a day or an afternoon to go look around or chill. It, it, Kim and I go on a riot fest for our honeymoon. It's really the only specific time off, not 
course related I've had more than like a long weekend upstate or something. Yeah. Well, you know, early on, you know, we didn't have men till late. So we had my son been at four now and we were told we couldn't have kids. And, you know, here, here it comes. And we'd been together over 20 years when we, when we found out we're pregnant. So we, we got all that stuff out of the way early. We used to go to all the, all the RKC events, the strong first events. We used to go all these different certifications and we would just make little mini vacations out of it. We'd go a day early, stay a day late and we'd go. And like, you know, we'd driven all over the whole country for, for certs for a while there. And uh, I think that's how most people end up meeting me was like, because like, why, why is this guy from Oklahoma? Why, why is there Florida a cert? It's like, because it sounded fun. Like, and we could, so. But. It, it's interesting to think too. I mean, certainly we had social media back then, um, but it was still kind of like, if you, if you think like eight or nine or 10 years ago, that's kind of the beginning of it. Like, I feel like, you know, these, so if we were, this was six years ago, it, it hadn't become quite the thing it is now. So Absolutely. the way we met people were literally in person, either attending or assisting or teaching your courses. I know that's one of the things that helped me not only make some of my best friends, but also be able to learn because you couldn't trust YouTube at the time. It was yeah. basically like some DVD, you know, DVDs would come out or you had to keep going to courses. Well, it's pretty amazing that really what kind of the genesis for both of us, you know, at least we get in this world because my, my training before kettlebells was primarily martial arts. So like, and they're very insular, as you hinted earlier, it's very insular and like standoffish typically, especially style versus style and all that bullshit. But with the kettlebell, it was like, Oh, okay, we're here. What is this thing? And it's, it's pretty funny that a little hunk of iron <laughs> drug people together. Like it's, it's not that special, but then like, man, you know, I'll probably have one in my, in my casket, you know, <laughs> we'll yeah. see what happens. Every time I go to fly somewhere where, like, and I'm waiting to board a plane, I look out the window and I'm like, a, no matter what course I'm teaching, yeah. a, a ball of iron with a handle is what brought me here. Yeah. I mean, my, ultimately my daughter, before my son was born, started my strength journey in my late thirties. But like the, the, I would have never thought that I would be a coach, uh, never thought I would be a, a traveling presenter. And I'm like, literally a ball of steel or a ball of iron with a handle is what brought us all together. And it's okay. crazy, you know, and I think of most of my friends now, almost all my closest friends are all fitness related. Yeah. Um, I've done more traveling, you know, in, in visual effects and advertising, you would travel for shoots and stuff, but I've done like a million times more traveling uh, as a fitness professional than I ever did on the advertising side of things. And that blows my mind. But let's talk about you and Kenzie for a second, because you told me a story when we were chatting. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that makes I totally believed it, but I had no. Are, are you are you, you going to bring up the Bumblebee trailer as we play this? Yeah, yeah let's do this. So, so Dustin is one of the handful. Uh, if you look up quite often uh, when a new superhero something comes out, uh, a trailer or something, I'll tag like a handful of people, and it's usually like Josh Hankin, James Newman, Tim Anderson, occasionally Mark Chang, and Dustin. And we were about to hop on the show and the new Bumblebee trailer came out. <laughs> so, you know, uh, for me, I am super optimistic about that trailer. A, because it's in the 80s, so they finally look like the, the, the toys that I grew up with. Uh, although, admittedly, I wasn't the biggest fan of the toys. Uh, I was more of a G.I. Joe guy. But um, I loved the cartoon. And I will say that I actually think the first movie is a pretty perfect summer popcorn giant robot movie whether or not it's transformers or not uh the other ones i think are quite quite terrible 
Yeah, whoever sold Michael Bay my childhood, I wish they'd get their money back. So you know, it's funny. The first one sold worked for me. I had no problems with it for what it was. There's like a sense of humor, like, a, and, and maybe because I don't have as deep an attachment, uh, my soul got crushed on that first GI Joe movie, um, which isn't quite as bad in hindsight as I thought. But the second one was a massive step up. It was. Um, yeah. But uh, so I, there's something I enjoy about the summer blockbustery. Plus, I was a visual effects guy, and the visual effects in that first one are just for the time. Nobody had done those Transformers movies. I didn't care. What's uh, what's not? But lost you for a minute. What's well, not about the Transformers movies were were the watching the evolution of special effects. If you're a film nerd at all, just watching the 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 improvement in the effects from sequel to sequel, like the plots sucked, but like at least the, the effects got better. You know, you can actually, in the early one, you couldn't even see the transformers transform. At least in the later ones, you could at least kind of see what was going on, you know? So they, they were so overly detailed, which was such like a 2000s thing to do. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about Bumblebee <laughs> and, and, and tell, tell everybody how you paid for it. Well, I happened I happen to mention that, like, uh, Kenzie and I got married. A couple of weird things about how Kenzie and I got married. I met, I met my wife on a Friday, and she moved in on a Sunday, which is a really, really creepy story if it wasn't over 20 years ago. Now that it's over 20 years, it's pretty romantic, I guess. But You've got proof of concept now on that one. Exactly. You know, fell fast, right? So. <laughs> So it worked. It worked. But here we are, and uh, we're getting married. It's about three years after we get together, and I needed some capital. Now, we're getting married on the on the gun range, so I had a true shotgun wedding. Our reception was in the clubhouse of the gun range that we owned, and um, so true shotgun wedding, but we still needed a little, little scratch put together. So what I did is I sold my Generation 1 Transformers, including my Optimus Prime, Gen 1 Optimus Prime in a box that I had with the TG&Y sticker on it, if you remember those. Oh, but, yeah. So. So uh, yeah, I sold that for a couple of grand and uh, paid for the majority of my cheap, cheap wedding. <laughs> it worked out okay. <laughs> That's amazing though, because uh, G1 folks is the, the the original line of Transformers toys, uh, Generation One. So those are the ones that all the cartoons were based off of, at least the first season or so. Um, you know, and I, and I applaud you for actually selling. Every time I've tried to sell something, uh, there's a handful of Godzilla figures I profited off of. But every time I've tried to sell something, right. just flat out lost like tons of money. Like, oh, I, I'm I'm still upside down. I'm sure, but the, but I never, you know, I kept my toys from as a kid. I never really got into like buying action figures as collectibles. I kind of dodged that. I worked in a bunch of comic book shops um, in the '90s, you know, in high school, and um, I kind of dodged that because they were getting it was getting popular then as a thing. And so I saw like right away, like, oh, wait a minute, people are going to spend a lot of money on this. I'd rather be making the money. So I'd rather be the vendor than the, uh, than the collector. So yeah. I have a few things here and there, but nothing, you know, nothing really collected, never really got into it. So I, I'm definitely like super nostalgic about stuff. And, and I can still, my, one of my biggest regrets is I sold basically all my Star Wars figures and almost all my G.I. Joe figures at a, at a yard sale, uh, a garage sale at my folks' house. Oh, man. And I remember being so uh, excited and proud that I made like 350 bucks and I made more money than any of the grownups. And now if I had had that stuff, <laughs> so I am that guy who's like, well, you know, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But so. Yeah. Right. And then I'm, I am that guy though, that every time a movie comes out that I love, I'm like, I'm going to buy a few of the figures. And then I'm like, why do I have like, I either need to have a collection of a thing or nothing at all. So if I just have like three random say Hellboy figures, they're short-lived because I'm like, it's not a growing collection. It's just random Hellboy figures. Um, but that's what gets me in trouble because now I have like a wall of Godzilla toys. 
Um, and when are you going to stop? You can't stop, right? Well, I, I'm, I'm admittedly in the process of letting go. Um, but then what happens is I go through, and I'm trying to temper this too, because historically I'll go through this phase where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to get rid of it. You know, whatever it takes, whatever money you got, I got to And then two years later, I'm like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> like I, I sold a bunch of sealed Ninja Turtle figures just probably like 12 or 14 years ago, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. And I probably could have made a lot of money off them, but I just sold them at a yard sale. And part of it also has this like altruistic thing where at that time, cause I was making more money. I'm like, I just want kids to play with them. Like just right. open them up. Sure. And now I'm like, now that I'm not making that visual effects money, I'm like, damn, you see a show like toy collector on YouTube or, or uh, what's that show on, on Netflix, the toys that made us. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. And you're like, oh, I had all that stuff. So right now I'm trying to slim down the Godzilla collection because I made a rule with Kim. It's like us set, it's like three shells next to each other. I can't expand past that. So I'm trying to whittle down because I know I already have a couple coming. And just to make some side income, you know, I mean, it's hard. I mean, you were you, square, square footage, square footage there is at a premium. You need to move out to the Midwest so you can afford to have a bigger collection. Oh my gosh, I know. Uh, I mean, Kim and I when the kids are old enough to go to college. So we got like 10 years with uh, our son. There'll be a move somewhere. Uh, we, are, we are lucky though, comparatively speaking, uh, for our neighborhood and for what we pay, we actually have a really big place. Um, Kim lucked out and just found this building that's uh, just run down enough, just sort of like the management company doesn't pay enough attention that we were able to get a decent price on it. Um, AKA that's Fury Industries. So we have the wall, but you know, I'm also like my money, like I've been struggling, you know, with various degrees of ups and downs. Fitness is such an up and down business that I'm used to being a salaried guy. And I'm like, why am I spending, why am I stressing about a potential bill three months from now? Because I just spent this on a Godzilla toy. <laughs> this is logic of a guy who turns 46 this month, folks. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. I'm such a slow learner. <laughs> Um, so let's, let's talk comic books for a minute. What was your, what was your favorite comic book? Uh, oh, I don't want to say growing up cause that seems, but when it counted, I think we can all say it's not so much a growing up thing, but like when they counted, when they meant the most to you. Yeah, I got my, I got my first comics. I got my, I had a neighbor when I was, I had to be nine or 10 whose son collected early on. So this is the, you know, this is like eighties, right? And he moved out and she gave me all of his work. So I got a, my first comic books were golden age. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. It was really cool. And so like the first comic I opened was actually a Conan comic and a little later on, but like it was one that caught my eye, of course, you know, and looked at that. And then when I started like actually buying comics for myself, you know, unfortunately that was like early nineties. So we got the glut of like foil covers as you can do all ago and like, you know, foil this and 17 different variants and all that stuff. And it just yeah. like, none of it was valuable except for the, to the publishers. So unfortunately I got into that, but also it was good because I worked at a few different comic book stores. So I ended up working for trade most of the time anyway. So I wasn't ever out that much, but the ones that really turned the corner for me, um, I actually like early ghost rider for some reason, not a motorcycle guy, but I just dug ghost rider. I thought that was cool. Edgy. I like that. I like the, I like the dark, uh, Marvel stuff, you know, Mid midnight suns. If you remember that era. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's around that nineties time in particular, yeah. right? That was yeah. like man thing. And, uh, Punisher and Ghost Rider and yep. uh, who else? Vengeance, Books of Dark Hold, all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. So, 
So I dug all that and then that helped. Of course, like spawn came out about that time too when I started collecting and I had 32 spawn number ones at one time. That's enough something else I've I have I have at least seven of those bagged and boarded at my folks' house. Every image comic number one. Yeah. I have I think I have at least seven of them. So Shadowhawk, Savage Dragon, uh Wetworks, <laughs> all of those originals. <laughs> no no feet on the covers. <laughs> yeah, right. Never, right. <laughs> so uh, but anyway, we uh, we went through all that stuff, and uh, it was good. I had that. I liked liked Wolverine, of course. Then we got completely, uh, literally oversaturated with that character. You know, he was guest starring as something every week, so it became impossible to kind of collect or follow because it was just that that, that era. Um, but like that, but definitely more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy. So yeah, me too. I, I, I'm a bit older than you, so for me, I started probably early mid eighties. So I'm, I'm a big X-Men guy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, one of my high school regrets too, I, you know, it, it is, it's such a track record. It goes back to high school. I sold probably like 20, some of them probably very important issues of X-Men for like literally the amount of money of a case of beer. And <laughs> to the comic book shop that like eight years later, I would end up working at. And you know, I regret it, but at the time, like, what what else were you going to do? I didn't know. A, you needed money. B, you needed somebody to buy it for you because we were all underage. Sorry, folks. <laughs> uh, but it's funny how it's you- a history of maybe less than optimal decisions. <laughs> I think it's like it's it's just literally like the uh, the Kevin Smith movie of being a, a Long Island suburban dirtbag. Um, <laughs> it's just the story of my life. <laughs> how do I how do I keep these hobbies flowing? And, and still try to meet girls and go out and have friends. <laughs> I was also trying to start, start to get skateboarding. Well, it's so much easier now because there, there is no more pop culture. It's just culture, you know? That's the weirdest thing. Your so, culture is culture, period. There's no, there's no like, separation, you know? There, but, but there still is, which is so weird. So this is something like, you know, like Ben's a little young, but like, you know, my, uh, my, my daughter just started middle school. And you could see how there's still like clicks to a degree. Okay. We, we're in this weird age where... I mean, let's face it, in 1992, alternative music, punk rock music blew up. So suddenly, like, no one's, I, I find it hard. I mean, I go in small towns and around uh, in countries, it's different. But, like, I don't know how people get made fun of all of a sudden for listening to, say, like, Marilyn Manson or something, when it's, like, literally everybody's listening to these types of things, more or less, right? The genre, uh, you can't really make fun of somebody being in a punk rock when you listen to Green Day. And I, I think, like, everybody listening to Green green day whether they wanted to admit it or not so there's right. opening up even before social media suddenly like i remember getting like you know called skater fag and people chasing us for skateboarding and now it's like you know tony hawk pro skater 2 at the time i'm dating myself even just by that reference but suddenly all of these things that you were potentially ostracized for uh maybe had three friends five friends six friends that were into it if you were lucky are, are big broad scope things Sure. And, and now, like, you know, the weird one now is my kids just found anime. They just realized that a lot of the cartoons oh, that they like happen to be anime. Yeah. Use the phrase anime. I didn't know what anime was until I was in college. It's the weirdest thing. So how do you feel like... Uh, I was I was Japanese, you know, Japanese animation guy, you know, Japanimation guy. <laughs> it was like, it wasn't even anime yet, right? Yeah, it was like, I mean, you really, and you didn't have any options, right? What did we have? We had uh, Akira, Akira, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. You had uh, Fist of the North Star. Yeah. Um, what else was the big one? Ghost in the Shell was a pretty big one. Yeah. 
Uh, I didn't watch like Nausicaa, right? Was that how you pronounce it? In the Valley of the Wind? Yeah, the uh, Sulu Jubilee stuff. Like, I never watched that either. I mean, I've, I've seen them all, but I never wasn't really into them. So, yeah, I mean, Robotech, I guess, was probably the first thing that I knew, but I didn't know. That was, that. Probably, that was probably the first one for me that you can qualify as anime that I watched because it came on TV and, like, what is this? This is the coolest thing ever, you know? And it used to be on it's, it's when people ask me about, like, you know, hours as a trainer, like, I'm such an early bird to begin with. Like, I remember that used to be on at, like, I want to say, like, 6 a.m. in New York in, in this, like, it was a super early cartoon. Weird. I think on channel five, like it was like one of the start of like your Saturday morning cartoons or excuse me, Sunday morning cartoons. But then you realize that like G force battle of the planet, Japanese show, uh, star blazers, Japanese show just repurposed. And, but I had no idea they were just our cartoons, but my right. kids now, like they literally be like, I love anime and it's going to be really weird in a year when they go to comic-con and suddenly comic-con super different for them because they're going to get it all. Yeah. Whereas before it was uh, like, eh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Now they're going to get it all. Ultron. Dude, they love Ultron. I, I can't, he won't hear this. Have you seen the Netflix, have you seen the Netflix show? The Netflix shows, uh, I haven't seen all of it. My daughter, and my daughter got my son into it. She's, uh, she's 11. And she like binge watched and would like be like screaming, sometimes crying with that storyline. Have you watched it all? Not all of it, but most of it. She was super engaged into it. Where she was excited when season when season seven came out. Like she hustled through one through six to get to the new season. So I gotta check that out. Cool. Um how you holding up? Good. All right. You wanna talk about what's going on health wise? If we must, I think it's probably <laughs> a good idea. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. So uh why don't you, uh, friends of us, of ours, yours, are going to know what's going on, but why don't you uh, fill us in a little bit about what's been going on? Well, uh, 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with a kidney disease called IgA neuropathy, or Berger's disease. And it's basically, I overproduced the protein IgA, and it effectively clogs up my kidneys. Um, I had some wonky labs, and I went and had a kidney biopsy um, and uh, confirmed the diagnosis. Only about 20% of people kind of escalate into end-stage kidney disease. And uh, unfortunately, I'm one of the ones that escalated. I was stable for over 10 years, or I guess over nine years. And then the last 18 months or so, I've just really crashed. Kidney functions worse and worse and worse until eventually uh, this year, I've been in the hospital five times um, for kidney failure twice. And now on dialysis, as we've seen on my chest there. And so it's, uh, it's taken a toll. Um, you know, I've been busted off training, uh, which was, you know, should be my livelihood, but we, we figured out a way around that. But, um, we, we had some weird news as far as the doctors locally told me that, you know, once I go on transplant that I need to be, uh, you know, I need basically prepare to live in a bubble, stop training, don't go to the gym, don't travel all those things that I kind of do for or could do for a living. And so I stopped that and um, we, I went back to get my MBA and I'm nearly, I'll be completed in, in May with my MBA thinking that, well, um, I need to provide for my family. So how do I do this? So I was like, well, I need to go get a government job so I can get good benefits and get through this. Cause the, the post transplant drugs are $3,800 a month. Ooh. So, and, and you know, when you stop taking those, 
never. <laughs> when you yeah. when you die, you take them the rest of your life. Now there's there's some foundations and some help, and my insurance is actually really good, so that's significantly less than that. What I'm finding out, but you know, initially they said prepare for it, and uh, and that was a shock. So I will need a kidney transplant after dialysis. I can't maintain indefinitely on dialysis, um, and so we're uh, we're set up for that. I'm listed for transplant here in Oklahoma, and recently I went out to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale and got listed in Arizona as well. So officially I'm listed for there. And what listing means, some people don't know. What listing means is that um, if a cadaver kidney that matches becomes available, so an egg negative cadaver kidney comes available, um, then potentially I get that kidney. Okay. Um, unfortunately, a living donor would be much better, but I'm my only child, so there's no big brother to help me out here. A living donor, like the lifespan of the kidney doubles. So instead of over doubles, actually. Like, I think the current stats are instead of four and a half years, it goes to like almost 15 years that you'll have the kidney, which is good. And then your obviously your rejection, uh, your rejection tolerance goes way up too. So you, you're a lot less likely to reject the kidney. And so those are the kind of the things. So a few of my friends have gotten together and created a couple of groups. One's on Facebook. I'm sure you'll share the link for me, right? So yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a Facebook group. Um, that kind of gets more information if someone wants to be a donor. Um, and if not, there's a way to kind of help out because my concern is, is like my insurance will pay for my donors, um, all their medical expenses, some of their travel, but none of their food and none of their, uh, time off work. So I was hoping, um, and we had a good credit to go fund me for this. So I was hoping to generate enough money that at least someone won't be out if they decide to, to give me my, uh, my, childhood my son back right because i want to be a rough and tumble dad and i don't i don't want to uh you know i don't want to be living in a bubble and just watch him grow up he's four you know i want to go camping and i want to do all these things that dads are supposed to do and uh, i'm trying to get there and just trying to figure out how to make it work so and and to to clarify for the listeners uh, folks like you can like you can be a living donor for a kidney. Like it is something that if yeah. you if you're matching the type, there's a. I, I went on the website and I looked at the videos that were through that um, on one of your posts. And I admittedly, Dustin, I talked about this previously. Like I was like, I didn't even know you could even do that. Like I didn't even know that was like a liver donor type thing. So you yeah. can still. It doesn't make you more prone in any way to having your own kidney troubles whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so you know, if you match the blood type, a a positive. Well, for for a living for a living donor, any A or any O will work. Actually, any A so, or any O for me. Um, yeah, if it's something that's within your capabilities, like to to really ponder that because it is a severe thing. Please look into it because I had no idea, um, and it doesn't necessarily it doesn't mean it's going to shorten your life expectancy by by giving the donor uh, becoming a donor. No, they, and they have it down to science. I got some good news when I went out to Mayo, and you know, here's here's prop to Mayo. If anyone is ever facing a life challenging thing and they have opportunity to be able to get to a Mayo clinic, uh, their reputation is well-deserved in my mind because, um, you know, the, the information I was given here about like, well, prepare to live in a bubble, stop training, stop going to gym because you're gonna be at risk of staph infections, all this noise they said was 20, was decades old information, you know? So they, they, they gave my life back. You know, my mom was with me because I have to have a, a care donor while I'm there and, our caregiver while I'm there and she, she went with me and like, you know, we cried in the office because like, you know, I'd changed my entire life just to provide for my family here, try to figure out some path forward. 
And suddenly I'm being told like, no, no, you can travel. You can go do some kettlebell search. No, you can go to the gym. Now there's going to be, there's going to be a period right after my, my transplant where I need to be kind of isolated till we get the drugs figured out exactly right. Get the cocktail exactly right. But if that like go live your life, but like they're telling me get rid of my pets here, you know, like, you know, all this stuff. And they're like, no, 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 no. They just, just live your life, you know? And there's some things you need to be careful for, you know, about, but like, you know, there's nothing that should change. And like, so they gave me, gave me everything back. And, um, I, I appreciate it, you know, cause I, you know, I'd do anything for my family, but if I can, if I could coach and make a living for my family, then that's my purpose fulfilled. Cause uh, I consider myself a torchbearer. My duty is to illuminate the path for others so they can share their strength with the world. That's what I do. And I love coaching. I don't care what it is, you know, martial arts to strength training. I love being on the mat with folks and have that transformative moment to moment experience, you know, when the light bulb goes off either in your eyes or theirs, you know, that that's, that's why I do this. And uh, so, so I'm doing that. So that's, you know, and what's funny about this, Steve, this is, you know, I don't know if you believe in fate and all that stuff, but this is uh, what spoke to me was really strange because it was on the plane ride out to the Mayo Clinic, I decided like, you know, I can't give up on this coaching thing yet. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. So I put it, you may remember this. I think you commented on it. Like, um, hey guys, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking about, Hey, I'm thinking about taking my coaching online. How does this work? What do your guests think? And like, you were, you were supportive of it and quite a few others actually. And like, so I decided on that plane trip out, like, you know, I'm going to coach anyway. I'm just going to do it online. And then I get there and the next day it was like, yeah, you can, you can be in a gym. No problem. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you should still look into it, though. I, I, I think I definitely am. Definitely yeah, am. That's, it, it's where we're moving forward. Yeah. It, and it's definitely, um, you know, I, I think maybe we crap talk it a little bit. And I hope it doesn't come across on it because I think right now it's become, uh, for every trainer, it's become this idea of a revenue stream. But I think yeah. if you're if you're actually like a, a seasoned trainer, I mean, not that I'm like super veteran guy, but um, if, if you have the experience to be able to coach clearly in program, it makes total sense. The, the thing we tend to talk on this podcast is a lot of people, it's like, well, yeah, I just got, you know, I just got my first internship or I'm just in my first like seven months of training and I'm building up my online thing. I'm going to start training online people. Like there's this false impression that it's a job necessity or an easy money grab. But for you, it makes total sense. Um, I mean, well, not, even if you didn't have your health issues, it makes total sense to have at least a, a component of your revenue stream um, be from that. Well, you know, thinking that direction, like trying to figure out like, well, how am I going to exactly am I going to do this? What do I like? What do I want to see? And what I realized was this, Steve, and this is, this is amazing to me that this is a big aha for me. And this changed the way I'm going to coach forever is people don't need more information. They need more transformation. Like, I mean, we're 30 seconds away with the phone in our pocket from whatever we want to do. It's right there. It's 20 seconds, 30 seconds away. And what we need is more transformation. So like, yes, it's the accountability, but it's also being part of a group that has your best interests at heart. And we're going to find a way you troubleshoot and find a way forward. It's not, it's not like, uh, what's, what's the fanciest, you know, kettlebell snatch that I could do. It's like, no, what about you just do a snatch test a couple of times a week? Or why don't you do some swings every day? You know, there's, there's just a simple standard path thing that you can do action that will add up to transformation but we none of us and I'm, I'm included none of us can kind of quite seem to get that done so let's just find the simple solution and let's figure out a way to get that done and that's where coaching where the online realm for coaching me makes a lot of sense because we can put groups together we can help people and we can curate those groups and we can just really make some transformations happen because the information is there we don't and you know it's, it's there 
And if you want to learn fancier stuff, better technique, fully support it. But how about you get on the floor and do some push-ups if you haven't done them in a while? You know, just simple things that require nothing, you know, no gym membership, just get on the floor, man. Just get your work done. You know, go see a trainer when you need to, to when you want to elevate your practice to the next level. But you, you can't look for a trainer to be a savior. Your trainer is not your savior. You know, only you can do that. So we're, we're, as we would say at Mark Fisher fitness, we're Sherpas. Like we're here to help guide you on this journey to show you the way, but yeah. you, you have to yeah. take steps yourself. But, but the thing that I like about online it, it, with what you said also is, you know, for example, your, your, the local clinic that gave you this, you know, old information, um, you know, diagnosis and online coaching allows people to have access to like top level sure. coaching that we can set them on that right path. So they, a, you know, they can see results. I, I don't want to say quicker in terms of like see results in eight weeks, but you will get more out of learning to do something right than perpetually struggling at doing something wrong. It's Absolutely. Just, at some point you're going to keep banging yourself, your, your head against the wall and being like, this still hurts. Well, you're still banging your head against the wall. Of course it still hurts. Uh, <laughs> see a doctor if it doesn't hurt anymore. But, um, so that's an aspect that I like that, like, uh, you get to teach courses as well. Like when we teach a course that that relationship doesn't end when I fly back home, there's an opportunity to keep working with somebody, uh, to actually, cause, cause you know how it is. I mean, you go to a, say you even go, you, you go to a kettlebell cert and you crush it. You know, you do the best job. Everyone high fives you. Everyone's like you, the strongest man or woman here. And then the next day, yeah, I've never got there. <laughs> and then you're, and then you're out though. You know what I mean? And then you're just like, okay, like I'm back at the gym and I'm a trainer, but I have these initials and I think it's a good way to be like, yeah. So what is the next step or how do I make sure I don't slack off now and start to, you know, fall back on my skill sets. Absolutely. And, and I think that helps too. And I think that was one of the big eye openers. I always say for the online, my online coaching thing is that for years, like maybe even almost five years now, I'd be involved in like helping somebody with like a snatch test or something. Mm -hmm or building a press, something towards a cert. And then uh, Hillary Bomer, hey Hill, she signed up with me after going through DVRT level uh, one and two with me at Artemis's place in Boston. And I just saw her progress so smooth because she wasn't like, I'm just in this for a month. She just kept training. And I never saw somebody, uh, I forget how far along pregnant she was, but she crushed her RKC with me at, I want to say maybe five months pregnant, six months pregnant, like, and the snatch test was never a thing. There was never a doubt of nerves or whatever, because we had just so gradually been a part of her training and through the programming, it was just like, this is just another thing we're going to do. And people lose sight of that. And, and then on the, on the non-trainer side, um, it's funny, her nickname's Megatron, Megan Stryker, who's been on this show. She was just like an, you know, like a, a, a kettlebell fitness nerd. And she, had, you know, had reached out to Artemis. Uh, oddly, a lot of the good people in my life are somehow connected to Artemis and, and Eric and, and formerly, you know, Iron Body. But uh, her progress, just she's trainer level. Like she could, not only can she perform the moves, but she could break them down and coach them and if she needed to, but she doesn't want to. She just wants to be a strong woman, a strong parent. It's freaking awesome. And that for me was those two in particular were the buy-ins. I've had lots of successes on the program, but those were the two sort of pioneers where I'm like, this makes sense um, versus just trying to help somebody pass a cert, which I'm happy to do, but it's right. that longer, you know, transformation happens long-term. It doesn't happen uh, 
it's not like attaining Zen. It doesn't happen like a lightning bolt. It tends to happen through a, through a rough storm. We, uh, you know, I get asked that a lot, like over the years, you know, cause I'm, I got certified with Pavel in 2006, April, 2006. So I've been a kettlebell instructor for a while and they, um, you know, I've been, I've coached numerous people for their certs and it's like, it's funny. Like, you know, people always ask me like, usually at like an HKC or a strong first user course, that level, folks will ask me, it's like, well, what, what's the secret of passing the snatch test? And like my not so my true, but not so kind answer is time. You just got to get your time in heavy swings over time. Yeah. Over time. That's it. You know, that's it. I take sort of the same approach. Like I try to get everybody's nerves down. Like my, my ego and all of those strength tests, even, you know, in the things that we still do, uh, sure. I, I try to take the stress out of them that, you know, for me, they're there that if you train for oh. them, you, you won't hurt yourself through a weekend course. It provides like yeah. a baseline of physical fitness, but, yeah. uh, I also try to stress to them, like you said, that it's time and that, you know, your coordinates of your path for this learning curve or strength curve, it's going to be based on availability. So you might not be able to pass this test now because you just didn't have enough time. And instead right. of like getting emotional or upset or despondent over that, just like embrace that that's part of the process. And now you're going to have three months after to submit a video. Now that is never the way that I went in. <laughs> so that's easier said, never. but it's also like, I wouldn't do a lot of the things that I used to do. My, my attitude is so different towards a lot of this stuff now. That oh, absolutely. Really I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm quite certain you've walked around with bloody palms at some point. Yeah. Uh, the last time I tore my hands, and I'm fortunate, actually, I've only torn my hands four times in my life since kettlebell. So since 2010, four times. The first time I tried a snatch test, I tore two calluses off uh, mm-hmm. while I was at five points. And I didn't finish the snatch test. And that's Actually, the only time in fitness I almost threw up from working out. I was, I was pretty close. I didn't, but I was pretty close. Yeah. I uh, friction burned my hands at my first RKC in 2010 because that was when we did it like right out the gate, you know, like Friday, Friday morning. morning. Yeah. Hi, how are you? Snatch. Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's the course expectations. Take your kettlebell with you to the bathroom and now go snatch test. Um, <laughs> so I did two friction burns that I didn't feel happening as it happened. At my level two... I promised myself I wasn't going to let my hands burn, tear or, or friction burn. And uh, I got through all of the recertifying of level one. And then in all the pull-up stuff, because we were at the, the old rec center in St. Paul, Bain those, bluff. The, those, tap, the, those tap bars were so uh, hot and humid that holding on to actually the pull-up bars, I got a friction burn almost in the same exact spot. Ouch. And then the last time was uh, I did the tactical strength challenge, one of the last ones before it was an officially uh, strong first event. And I went for the elite level with a 32K on the snatch. And I got like 92 reps and I tore on that. But I, I knew I was going to tear on that. Like, well, I'm working the technique is good. What was that? Your design, that's kind of designed to push your technique to that level. So that, that's. That's going to happen, I would imagine. So. Yeah, and I was very smart in my training to avoid that from happening in my training. So uh, I, that was like another like little experiment. But there's just something like, you know, everyone says like, yeah, you'll build up to it. There's something when those handles get to a certain size that it's really hard to just hook a handle when it's, when it's that load. Even when you're starting to navigate it back into the sweep, it, it, yeah. it's a lot on the hands. Absolutely. But I haven't torn since. 
Ditto. None. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, right now it's easy. I'm not training much, so <laughs> I don't get all of it. I don't. I don't. So the, the, I went through a phase, you know, like. I got over the smash test, right? Like early on, it was it was always drama. It was always a thing. And it was really important to me for it to like stop being a mental mountain to climb. Like I didn't want to like work up for it. And so I went through a phase where, you know, every it was every Sunday because, you know, that's what I'm doing snatch test. Like every Sunday that there was a snatch test somewhere, I was going to snatch. I did that for a year. And that was great because it's, it really stopped being a thing. It was just something I did on Sundays. You know, and, and I try to make it as calm as possible. I didn't do anything crazy. I didn't go to a 32 or a 36 or a 40. And I didn't try to like, what's the best time I can do is like, no, here's my 24 K. What's the smoothest I can make it. I'm going to next five minutes. I'm going to go into this eye of the storm. How yeah. calm can I be doing it? And that was just the best. Those were some of the best experiences I had, you know, just cause just doing that, you know, in the fitness realm, because it was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to really smooth it out. I'm really going to focus. I'm really going to be patient and I'm just going to ride the wave. It's not going to be pleasant. It never gets pleasant. And that's what everyone keeps asking too about that stupid snatch test. It's like, when does it get easy? It doesn't. It's okay. You just, <laughs> become less, you, you start to show it the same or more respect, but you start to fear it less. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I'm sort of on the flip side of that. So I've, I think I've stepped up to snatch test and recertify with the, between strong first and the RKC, maybe, maybe nine times. I think yeah. before I, I ended up having a leadership role and, you know, I knew I had it every time, except I would still get so nervous and I couldn't tell if it was because of the test itself. And like, here I go, like we're going down a, a rough spot or if it was just the context of like being scored at the end, whether this was a pass or fail, I'm not a competitive guy. I've never been in team sports. That's a really weird thing when someone's going to pass fail me. Um, I don't have a a background of dealing with that outside of school tests. And I I never really gave a crap about school tests. Um, But I know after I had my, uh, you know, you talk about misdiagnosis is when I, when I started having tremors a year and a half ago, they, some, the first person I got to was a neurologist and he thought for sure I had essential tremors. So I'm like, great, I'm just going to shake. And mm-hmm. I couldn't hold a plank more or less actually press something overhead. And then it turns out it was my thyroid. And so I slowly started rebuilding my snatch test before the summer started. And I went back to like a 16 K sure. per minute. And on the last minute, folks pro try this out as a program. I'm, I'm going to put this out one day, but for the, for the first four minutes, eight per side. And on the last minute, I do eight per side and then see how many reps I could get. And if I got like 94 by the end of it, I knew I could, get, I could do that bell full snatch test without much worry. And then That's I fine. would do that a week later, you know? So I would just be like, all right, I just need six more reps. Boom, perfect, right? And then I'd go up a size and I would try that baseline again. And I brought it up to the 22 and then I had to start training for something else. But it was the smoothest, best technique, most relaxed I'd ever had. Now, mind you, I wasn't getting certified. I didn't have somebody like you looking down on me. Um, but it just felt good to be like, okay, this is just going to be over in five minutes as opposed to the holy shit, this is five minutes. Right. And I think that's the missing part. Plus, it's like I really try to stress with all of these strength tests, A, that a lot of us have failed in leadership on any group, have failed on strength tests. Absolutely. And that the big thing is, is are, do you understand the material? Because that's the hard part, right? Like, I don't care if, I, quite frankly, like, it's great that you pass a snatch test or whatever. But like, if you don't understand the material and can't translate that, like, you're not a great instructor yet. 
So I don't care if you certify, if that's part is the void. So I want you to be the coach side. And then we can worry about this other stuff later, but can, can you actually go and like show my mom within her ability, her version of where a swing would be? No, that's absolutely right. That's, that's a great way to look at it. It's like, would you, would I let you train my mom is who I'm always looking for in my, when I was a team leader, like, you know, always looking for like, you know, that was my final criteria is like, you know, would I, uh, would I let you train my mom? And yeah. uh, it was, yes, I know you're gonna get certified someday, but uh, even if you have a few uh, technique tests or street tests to pass, you know, so. And, and props to Chris Cooper from Amp Training in Long Island, who actually trains my mom now, because <laughs> that is the criteria. Um, <laughs> do I trust you to train my mom? Hey, I, I trained my mom, so you know, there you go. I, I live too far away. Uh, my my mom definitely needs eyes on. Uh, I tried writing a program. My mom's the type of woman. She'll 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 try to push herself through it and then wonder why her knees are killing her the next day. Uh, oh, my wow. mom swings the beast for reps. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. She doesn't know. She doesn't know it's supposed to be a big deal. She just does it. So I don't say a word. I just let her do it. So, okay. How long ago did she start kettlebell training? Oh, uh, she bought, actually bought me my first kettlebell. It was a Christmas gift. I got my first kettlebell December seventeenth, two thousand four. It was a sixteen. Wow. You got a lot of skin in the game on that. Yeah. And so the first thing I did, of course, is like I took the kettlebell out of the box and snatched it, you know, because that's what you do. <laughs> it's like you're an idiot. So. <laughs> and beat, beat the crap out of myself. Go, this is the best thing ever as I'm beating the crap out of my wrist. But um, now she, so seriously, probably, probably 2006, 2007. So, and now they, have an R, now they have an RV when they travel and she's got a bell underneath the RV and all that stuff. So, oh, that's fantastic. What was the snatch test like when you went through? What, what rules were in place? It was the no, only one hand switch. And for my size, it was 76 reps you had to do. And so, and just no, no, you only had one hand switch. So you can only switch hands once. Can't put, couldn't put the bell down. So. Wow. So no bell down. So no chalk, bell down. Chalk one. You're out. You're out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so folks, when everyone likes to say that you had the hardest, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do that. I will say this, uh, Karen Kurtz. Uh, who you may know, she's gone through uh, basically everything that Strong First has to offer. Uh, Karen, the first RKC that I assisted, it was one of the last ones before you know the the, the breakup had happened. It was one of the last big RKCs, and uh, she had a, hurt her wrist, and she was really nervous and getting upset about her wrist. And I, I, Karen, I, I apologize if you're listening to this, and I'm miscounting, but I feel like she did like something like. 80 reps on one arm mm-hmm. yeah, and, left then arm, finished, right? and then finished it on the other side. I was like, Holy crap. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's, it's, there's also this flip side though of like, it's kind of cool to be a part of a group regardless of the initials that we all know that we've done this thing. Right. Yeah. We, we all know that we've had to train for and accomplish this task. And except for, you know, you always run into like a handful of people that they love doing the snatch test. It's like, they're just going to do it because it's just like part of their workout. You know, right. they would do it three times a day if, they, if it made sense. Uh, I've never been that guy. No. Now, the closest I've got is like I mentioned, just doing that, like, you know, there's a snatch test somewhere today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to snatch with them. They're, they're not going to snatch alone. So, so I did the snatch test whenever there was one. That was the closest I got. But that, it, it wasn't really for them. It was totally for me because I just wanted to beat it out of my brain that it was actually a thing to be worried about, you know? 
I, I'd say like, but I had the conditioning, I had the strength, but I'd still occasionally fail them, you know, because of like, for whatever reason it gets in your head. And so I was like, uh, I'm just going to, sh- I'm going to give myself reps of this being a calm Zen like experience. That's tough. And it's okay that it's tough. I'm going to stop looking for it to be easy. I think that transition when it suddenly became way more common, and this is probably like a 2012, 2013 switch where it became way more common to do 10 on the minute, 10 per side on the minute and then rest. I know I was the guy, how fast can I get this done? Not putting it down. And then as I got, I guess sort of as I proved to myself that I've done this, I tried to make it easier. And that 10 per side on the minute is great. As long as you don't let that bell sit too long. That's where people kind of goof that. You know, they, yeah, get, they get tired and they're on that last minute and they're going to try to take some extra breaths. And I don't, I don't really care for like the fancy, you know, 15, 15, 10, 10, 7, 7, all those shenanigans. Cause like my, my brain shuts down. During I, I can't that. count that. I'm so glad that we're like a low rep uh, friendly society because like, that's all I want to count to is five. I don't want to count over five anyway. So. Do you know what my favorite numbers become that I, I tend to rep to a lot outside of ballistics? Eight. I, for some reason, I've just decided that I love the number eight. That's your number? Okay. Yeah. It just feels like the right amount of effort for me to not have a very heavy weight, uh, but like a good intensity weight and get some yeah. extra volume in. I, I, I don't know why over the last, that's definitely something in the last year and a half since I've been training more from home. Eight seems like such a lovely number. Plus when I'm training people for like a cert, you know, if say you have like five squats or four presses or five presses per side, yeah. if they have, if they're training in eights and they get up to their test weights in eights, I know that fatigue's not going to be an issue on day three. Yeah. Makes sense. So makes sense. That. I just, um, I just, I just give them extra sets. Like if, you know, if it's calling for one set, I want to be able to demonstrate three. Well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I was trying to think of another uh, uh, snatch test question, but it just completely brain farted out of my mind. So we're just going to let that one go. <laughs> well, yeah, that was what it was like in 2006, April, 2006, I went through and uh, that was kind of, that was, that was a crazy for me. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for the snatch test. I wouldn't, I didn't have the background for it. I wasn't ready to go through the, the RKC at the, at all. And so that 2006 cert was a crazy one because we had Mike Hartle, uh, my partner was Doc Chang on Team Cotter. So, you know, Mark Toomey was there. So, like, you know, it's like it had – it was just a really different cert. You know, and Brett Jones was there, of course. Cause, but then at the time, they had, like, everyone in leadership went to every cert. <laughs> like, so – Was that, like, yeah. the – was that one, like, the first, like, three of them, though? Because that's pretty much right at the beginning. Uh, the, it, it was – I think it was number nine or 11. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, but – so it was early, but like, you know, so, you know, and like we, we didn't do six drills or something like that. We did, I think we did like 40 different exercises. Like I did exactly one get up before I went to my first RKC, exactly one. And yep, I did it. Cool. Check that off. And then I went to the cert and Kenneth J uh, was an assistant at there. And Kenneth J was uh, taught to get up. And so he, he talked us through it. And the, the first words Pablo said to me, during that whole cert was like, I was, uh, I was doing a get up and I think I was doing a 24 and he came over and he was like, you know, comrade, could you do that with one? Could you do that with the, with the beast? I'm like, uh, no, cause the beast had just come out. <laughs> and he's like, nope, well, don't do it with that then either. It's like, okay. And so, and then that was the only correction I got for my get up and I got through the get up and checked off and that was it. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't have steps. We didn't have like the smooth procedure that came with the FMS later, you know, where it turned to, you know, Doc Ching's calisthenos get up. 
you know, that was much later. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was funny. It was a different experience. So. Kenneth Jay is one of the guys, there's a handful of people from the, like sort of, the, I don't want to make people sound old, but the original guard, instead of saying old guard, the original sure. guard that I, I, I think he left <laughs> maybe my first or second year into it, you mm-hmm. know, uh, before he started his own thing. And then my, my friend, Dave Alonzo, Hey Dave, he, he went through the level one of Kenneth's cert, but I haven't heard anything of that happening either. I don't know if that's still a thing or not, or if it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, Kenneth's moved on to the Carrick Institute stuff. So I'm not sure if they're going to fold his kettlebell material into that or not. I don't know what's going on there. So. Oh, I didn't I realize that that was another transition he did. Yeah. But he's somebody that I would have liked to have, uh, have spent some time with or learned from with there. Yeah. I've assisted him a few times. It's been, uh, it's, it's been educational over time for sure. Cool. And now bringing us us to today, um, what's it like? So you're a, you're a, a team leader, right? Right. So what's that like? What, what's it feel like now when you get to go out and lead the room? Because you were an RKC team leader as well. I was, and uh, you know, I made the switch, came over, and then I had to step back for a while for some other family health issues that weren't mine, but came back into the fold and uh, um, have yet to do. You know, taught a few user courses, that sort of thing, but I have yet to uh, lead at a SFG. But it's a, uh, yes, I have a different perspective now. Because at one time it was, you know, my core focus was like, well, how do I get to more certs? How do I teach more? How to be more? Because I just love being in that environment. I love being a team leader and uh, watching people transform there. And, you know, I backed off a little bit now. Like, I, I love that community and I wish I was with them in Italy this weekend, but we're, uh, you know, my focus since Ben has been Ben. So traveling to do a cert is not quite as attractive as it was. I would rather, you know, I'd rather, there's so many, there's so many leaders now. There's so much, um, instructors now that I'd rather someone else who's kind of up and coming kind of take that role and let me focus on other stuff. But yeah, it's a pretty stacked deck, but, uh, yeah. You know, that, that and the information's out there. Like, you know, early on, like, you know, they're still, don't get me wrong. There's still crappy YouTube videos uh, of kettlebell swing. We all know this, but like for the most part, the information's been pretty well disseminated. I mean, it's out there and you can find good information. You know, if you recognize it or not, that's another question, but it, it's not like it used to be. So, you know, I, you know, it's, it's good. I, I like, uh, I like troubleshooting stuff that maybe people hadn't thought of before. So, just give me all the the hard cases and let me help out. That's kind of where oh, well. I'm at. Yeah. I look forward to you getting to do the lead the room though. You'll get to lead the room. It'll be rad. They'll be lucky to have you there. It'll well, be great. You know, I have a, uh, you know, I do, I do my own workshops and I do. And uh, with the ACWA material, we're going to get some opportunities there as well. So uh, I, I like the room, you know, I like I like I like being in that presence. I like being in that field of uh, watching people grow. And uh, it's, it's entertaining to me to like be there and it's, uh, it's super sorry. rewarding to have that moment too. When, uh, the, the thing that's cool now is, is when you can be open enough that you realize like suddenly, so excuse me, somebody an attendee does something differently in the room and it just suddenly you view things completely different or you have a different way. You're oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love those moments where like, I've never explained this this way before. Um, Thank you for yeah, that. It's like the, 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 te- the teacher and the taught together form the teaching, right? So it's like, um, and just seeing, seeing it from through new eyes is just is a pretty amazing experience. But also realizing that, like, it's funny to me, like, you go to these SERPs now, 
And someone says something, you know, for a long time, I was like, well, do you know Pavel? You know, what did Pavel say about this? What does Pavel do about that? You go to a certain now, like, you're more likely to hear, like, who's Pavel? <laughs> it's like, like, how does it come to that? But it has, you know, it's, it's, and he, he would like, he would, he would have it no other way. He's all to him. It's always about the teaching. So, so he's okay with that. But it's, uh, it's interesting that that's kind of what we've evolved into. It's like, it's, it's about the material. So it, it's been interesting. So I think I was actually involved with some of the last certs when he was coming regularly, you know, mm-hmm. I, think sure. I think I was involved with the, the like, first two years i think i got uh, so it was 2012 ish and i think 2014 the first dome was the last thing i did was strong first and mm-hmm. uh, that was like i remember the dome i think was like one of the big uh, the first sfg2 it fills and then that dome the dome of strength with his first two where it's like wow pavel's not here yeah and so there's like there's like a, you know a year or two of people being like where is he because we we were all didn't realize how fortunate we were at the time that you know he was showing up like we just had to be able to I don't want to say like I was ever best friends with Pavel in any way, but you would be like, Hey, Pavel. And he would be like, Hey, Steve, um, where that became like, there was the mystery of it. And now enough times where, you know, elements of the leadership team have just sort of risen into those, those roles where people are now as, as excited to meet them as they would have been to meet him at the time. And now it's four years, five years later. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting switch when I just took that part, that, that access a little bit for granted. And I, and I'm actually a little mad at myself. This is what I try to stress this out at certs too, where, you know, this was sort of in that fear and intimidation zone of the RKC in the early, you know, in those early days. And sure. uh, I was afraid to ask him questions un- until I felt like I had proven myself enough, whatever that meant, whatever that meant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, gotten around him a little bit. I still remember at the first RKC, me, Steve Millis, and, and Emily Bearden, we, we just sat down. Remember how they used to do this, like, meet-and-greet dinners beforehand? like the Sure. Hors d'oeuvres and all that, yeah. Yeah, and we, we, we sat down at a table, and then all of a sudden, Pavel, John Duquesne, and Mark Toomey came and sat down at a table, and the three of us were like, you can have our seats, we'll leave now. <laughs> we just couldn't figure out, like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> I was like, because, again, part of it also is, though, like what you said, like, there was no information at the time. There was whatever Dragondor had put out, and that was basically it. Um, there was no real anything you could really watch at YouTube to learn how to swing a kettlebell or do a, do a getup of any worth at the time. And uh, everything was sort of scary and mysterious because everyone, not only were they trying to present it in that way, but uh, those of us that went through wanted to help perpetuate that because nobody wanted to ever believe that they went through the easy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, it builds, it builds from there. So like you go through and like, like, Oh, it's the myths that you're kind of scared by. It's like, what you really want from that is you want to be one of those guys. So then you suddenly, one of these guys are gals and then here you are. And uh, then you have to perpetuate the myth. And it's just, it's, 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 unfortunately, it's a, we, we participated, but it's really all nonsense because the majority of folks are so approachable in this, in these domains. It's just like, just go talk to them. It's super true. You know, it, and it's funny. Cause like, you know, I, I remember instantly getting my, you know, my hiking pants and tucking my shirt in, which is something I would never, ever, ever do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still will sometimes wear that. I tend to wear nicer yoga pants now that look like hiking pants. There was walking. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, it, but there was also like a little bit of, I remember at my level two, I guess uh, someone bought, I think it was Jeff O'Connor. Um, I think the guy's name was Paul. I apologize that I'm, or Dale. I think I'm, I apologize, man, that I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm sure you're not listening to this, but I apologize in advance. But they bought Jeff like a, uh, a virgin daiquiri or something. Sure. Right. And it's like all we started hearing. Oh, CK. I think it was a CKFMS. It might have been. And yeah. all we kept hearing right. was threats from how we were all going to get punished at our workout the next day. Right. We were all like, this is not something we want to deal with at all. But it was like a little bit like you'd start to try, think you could like push the boundaries a little bit. And then there would be this like, we're going to try to smack you down a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, some of that was good. And some of it I'm really glad is gone. Not, not the people, but that, that attitude. It, yeah, it's, 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 it's much different now. I mean, you know, the early days, though, was all military, all martial artists, a bunch of tough living men and women, you know. And it was like it was a little different attitude. And that, that needed to change because, like, you can just look across the – I'm sure the RKC is the same, but what was strong first, you look across the field and like, you know, there's, it's just a different crowd. It's just a different yeah. crowd. It, it, and, and I applaud it for being so because that means it's going to, good information is going to get to more people as it should. So it's, it was the right move, but uh, it is, it, it, admittedly, it is a little fun to be one of the old guard that like I got, I walked uphill, I snatched in the snow uphill both ways. Yeah. It's uh, I, I, I'll always say like, I wouldn't change my first RKC, but if I were to go through that now, I would have walked out. Like as soon as someone said that you have to take your kettlebells to the bathroom, I'd be like, yeah, uh, I'm going to go take a grown up course somewhere else where, where, I'm, where I'm treated like an adult, but somehow yeah. it worked. Like that was the whole magic of it. And yeah, it, it sounds insane from the outside, but when you're in it, it's, it's, it's good natured, you know, like it's, it's not, it's it's not meant to be abusive you know I think we all went into those weekends though i think a little bit wanting to get crushed you know Absolutely. Most, well, you, well well more, more importantly you wanted to be the hero monday morning after going through it true true so you know yeah this last week was my i want to say like maybe the eighth that somewhere in the 18th to the 20th was my, my eight year anniversary official. And I taught my first kettlebell class, I think two weeks ago or a week ago, uh, eight years ago. So that was cool. kind of crazy. My uh, whole being able to teach at five points was based on passing that RKC. So I was definitely sweating that. Yeah. Level two. We, uh, I remember my first RKC going through and like, you know, I was, I was woefully unprepared. Cause I, you know, one thing we didn't know how to prepare. There was no RKCs around to train me that early, you know, had no idea what to expect. So I went through and barely survived. I, I like to say I survived my first one and thrived during my second one. Cause what I went, I went back two years later for the research and I did really well and was well prepared. I basically I spent two years training to go back through, you know, and did really well. I was on team Whitley and made that connection with Dave then. And, you know, that maintains to this day. And, um, but that 2006 third, like I remember falling asleep in the bathtub ordering room service and then falling asleep with ribs and French fries on my face. So I ordered like ribs and fries. Cause I just, I just needed calories. I didn't care. Like nutrition did not matter. I just needed bulk food. And like, that was like the, the most calorically dense thing on the, on the menu. So I ordered room service. I didn't go out with people. And like I did the second time I just, I went to my room and, and, and hid. And, uh, I, I woke up, Kinsey called me on the hotel phone. Cause she's worried. And like I had a French fry on my beard, you know, <laughs> and, like, and like barbecue, like barbecue ribs in my lap. Like I just I fell asleep eating, you know. I was like, that's that's pretty sad. And then, but I, I stuck it out, got through it, and then basically like committed right then. Like I'm gonna do it again. But I'm gonna do it better. And then I went through it two years later and did pretty well. So 
I know for me, like that was the whole sort of pleasure of assisting was getting, getting to research, like as much as like, it was a bit much sometimes. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a point where I'm like, do I really need to do this again? I just researched like three months ago and you still did. Um, but having different sets of eyes on you, queuing you up differently, getting different feedback, just not being able to take any for granted, anything for granted. When I, when I look at, the team leaders that, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to work with uh, or seniors or masters that I've gotten to work with directly. Um, I'm just so grateful for the, for the history of that and, and, and the yeah. impact it's had. And, and, and now, you know, I never expected to be a presenter, but I can also see how I was picking up from the presentation styles that I, you know, that I absolutely felt aligned with me more. I mean, uh, so well, I didn't it's, expect it's that. a problem on fire, Steve, isn't it? I mean, like this whole becoming a, you know, everyone was like, well, how do you become a team leader? How do you become a senior? How do you like go up the ranks? It's like, well, it's trial by fire, especially in the early days. Cause like there was no manual. There was no, like when there's, there's the, the RKC and SFG manuals, there's manuals, but there's no, like, how do you present and how do you teach unless you knew that? So like you just, you had to be present to see what worked, what didn't. So you could figure it out on your own and get going. And so that was, that's the way it was. And, um, and I think it's getting a little smoother now and especially, I don't know about RKC at all, of course, but like in strong first, you know, we, we actually bring those topics up and, and we try to smooth out what's, you know, what's working best, what needs to work better and how do we improve from there? So, so just on the teaching side of all, you know, just on the teaching methodology alone, which I think is nice. So. Yeah. The leadership thing's a hard one because, you know, people will ask and it's, it's, it's sort of amorphous. I don't know if it's the, the only group that I teach for that has like a systemized process. It's no guarantee is original strength. Original right. strength has. That's not a surprise. If you become an, a, 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 you know, an OS level two certified instructor, you can put in a, an application to work towards becoming potentially becoming an instructor. And there's stages of assisting work where the first one, you're going to be more in the background, helping with paperwork, maybe some demos. And then, more demos present a little bit and then at a certain point like you get to co-lead so a lot of uh, one of the coolest things I've, i get to do is i was i think i might have been like the first promoted instructor um if not within the first three of them and i get to sort of help vet out the final final go or thumbs up or whatever not that i have the final say but you know i'll, I'll be the guy that you know gives the final nod on somebody so I've, a lot of instructors i've been very fortunate have worked with me and then gone on to that's, teach that's a, great, that's a great system and you know for dragon door i think you know I, I i it's it's sort of like you know put in the work you know try to write try to assist it's a little tricky because we tend to not need we, we do uh we tend to do somewhat smaller but more often courses so you don't necessarily need a whole bunch of assistance in one spot at one time right so those options are a little are trickier and but i do think like creating content helps assisting helps keeping up on your cert helps um i know uh, while i was involved with strong first it was just really it was the assistance like there was a bunch of us assisting all the time um very often and pretty much everybody on that list is, is, is in leadership now. I mean, you know, you would be, right. yeah, I mean, almost everybody on that list is, is sort of come up that we would all be like, you know, depending if you went to three search, you'd have basically uh, 15 of the same 20 assistants at most of them. 
Right. It's been great to see all every, you know, all of those friends. Cause you know, when they split happened and there's a lot of choosing sides and I know people got pissed at me when I ended up going, uh, you know, to the RKC, uh, is, is people lost sight that we were all just friends and we're all just teachers and this is all uh, opportunity and, and versus, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some sort of Wookiee life debt <laughs> that, that was blown way out of proportion. Life, debt, life debts aren't canon anymore. Yeah, right. So that's cool. <laughs> but it, that's what I podcast, I, I, you know, I, I think people were surprised when I had my first, like, you know, that I, I wasn't, I shouldn't say my first, that I wasn't just talking to like, OSDV, you know, the groups that I teach for, because like, I have friends. And that's why like, I, there was that rumblings of potentially another summit of strength. And I think almost when, when, when you're feeling more sorted, I do yeah. think there's space for that because I, I think it could be if we can actually make like if, if we take our government and, and, and we try to make a better version of what we do, uh, we could finally demystify all of that crap and just have a bunch of people teaching. Uh, I think yeah. that would be pretty amazing. I think we uh, I think they're they're Kenzie and I've talked about that quite a bit. I think that would be and the new location is superb. We're there in Tulsa. It's on the Arkansas River um, in a town called Jinx, suburb of Tulsa. And beautiful right there along the Arkansas River. And the ACWA Tulsa is right there on the Riverwalk. So it's um so you you came to the summit and you remember me like having to get the van and we drove you from Edmond out to Guthrie and we drove across town and it took like 30 minutes and all that stuff that we did. Like this is all walking. Like we get you to your hotel, it's three minutes to the search site. It's and then you have seven nurse. All the restaurants are geared towards bigger groups too. We've already talked to them about like, well, how do you handle groups? And so we're doing that. So we're gonna have a few, we're gonna have a few trial runs coming up. Uh, Katie Bowman, you know Katie Bowman, move your DNA. Yeah, yeah, she's she's coming out in March, Tasteduye. So that's gonna be huge. And then of course James Nidlinger's coming out next May for the Indian Club cert. For the Indian Club cert, yeah. So so we're gonna have a few trial runs, see what it's like to get some groups out there. And, but that, that is uh, Kinsey and I's radar of maybe get me a kidney first, maybe get me healthy and functioning first. That might be a priority. Yeah, definitely, definitely prioritize. And, and then, you know, let me know how see, I can help. Let's see if we can't get a group of folks come out and, and definitely tap into that old summit group and, and see, cause we miss those folks so bad. We miss you folks so bad and just want to see everybody. So. I mean, that is the, the first time that I've met so many people in person and it, and the cool thing. So that was like Ari Harris who, uh, became one of my closest friends in the field um, and outside of the field, uh, Melody Schoenfeld, Sister Fury. Like it's the first time I met her. Um, and even cooler was getting to share some stories with people that I didn't meet at my level one or level two. There were a lot of people from my level two that were there that I hadn't met. Um, and, and that was, it was a really cool, really cool experience. And it was like, not to have that pressure. You know, I remember like uh, Dave Whitley was just like, who wants to learn some stuff about bending stuff and tearing? which I yep. still suck at to this day, but I was like stoked to learn how to bend the nail, even though it was like the thinnest nail <laughs> in existence, maybe, but I still took it as a win. Uh, Dave still gave me the funniest, like, <sighs> cue. He, I, you know, I, I thought he was an asshole the way he said it at the time, but like when we were going over the bent press, you know, he was going over like fine, fine tuning the bent press. Sure. A lot of uh, discussion on when it was like, what did this group want to talk about? It was the bent press and the clean and jerk because we'd all gone through an RKC where there was uh, uh, the bent press section was very rushed and Tamer taught it. It was just very rushed, uh, not his fault. And then the clean and jerk was right before uh, Dan John was about to have his, his uh, hip replacements. 
So he wasn't demoing much. So it was a lot of like sort of discussion demo. So I know like Scotty Yardella and I were like, yeah, can we, can we talk about the clean and jerk? And I remember trying to do the bend press, which, you know, I, I've got them now. It's not a move that I love. And <laughs> Tamer said something like, yeah, that's a whole lot of flexion. Let's load that up. <laughs> it's like just the best snarkiest comment ever. <laughs> um, Let's put heavy weight on top of that all that flexion. Yeah, yeah, just to load that up. That's that's great. <laughs> I think I might have also been like, hey, how, how's this look? <laughs> um, don't ask. Don't ask if you don't want to know. Yeah, and I was ready for it. But I said this to Tamer too. Tamer's one where uh, we had been around each other but not really hung out, right? Like, I don't know if I was just intimidated. Like you, you know, We talked about in the beginning of this, like sometimes you're intimidated by a person, yeah. by somebody, or if it was, uh, you know, difference in statuses or whatever. And I just, I, I don't know why I wasn't able to get like a, a great read off of Dave. And then Dave was the first person uh, I was going through my original strength level two course. Um, I think I was already an instructor and Dave was coming out and we actually met at the airport. Like we got a ride in together and I thought Dave was like going to politely, we'd hung out actually at the dome a bunch back, back then. We'd hung out and had drinks at the dome and, and got along really well. And I thought he was going to give me a lot of shit about going to the RKC and somebody, he could not have been more supportive and more understanding of just like, yeah, when, when everyone's like, what did Fury do? I, he was just like, yeah, I, I think he just got a really good opportunity and he's probably makes sense for him and his family, which is, which is what it is. Right. So Dave won that soft spot like right there. Cause it just completely beat my expectation. And, you know, if we go back to what I was hoping out of this podcast, it's like, you know, Someone might love you or not know you, and I hope they either love you more or they love you now. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, and, and, and that was something when Dave came on, we ended up, we could have talked, we could have done four episodes back to back. Because sure. he's like us, though. Like, people wouldn't look at you or Dave. I'm pretty obviously nerdy because I'm, I might be actually wearing Godzilla tights. Um, <laughs> but that we're, we're just all the comic book kids. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we are the Toys R Us kids this is just happens to be what we got into as a field. Well, it's not like David, like Dave talks about so frequently. It's not that surprising. It's not that surprising. Self-development, you know, the purest form of self-development is strength training. Yeah. I mean, like it's the perfect model for self-development for, for any, for any, for any endeavor really. And so like, it's not that surprising that like, you know, those of us who idolize heroes, like, well, let's improve ourselves. Like, is it that surprising? It's not, you know, just it's what it is. So it's, it's a really cool thought process mindset to be a part of, because I'm going to openly admit that coming up from the skateboarder scene and, and, you know, my nickname of fury, it's just based on me being an angry kid. Um, I was definitely more self-destructive and not necessarily like drugs or booze or anything, but you know, skateboarding was a way out, but it was also like punishing in a way. Um, sure, absolutely. That I was okay with. You know, and now it's like uh, I, I really like that I can go and, and, and skate or ride my BMX bike at the park and nowhere as good as I used to be. But you know what? Like, I'm also not. I'm not in that angry mindset of like I'm going to go like crush this move or kill myself in the process. And my right. training's changed that way too. Like, uh, forgetting who I was talking to about recently, like. I don't look at the, I don't look at the bell. Like if I'm going to go try to press something with the same anger attitude or, 
um, you know, F you attitude of something like that. Like, I just want to like enjoy lifting. I actually want to enjoy the experience of picking something up and putting it down. Not just like talking about it or blogging about it or trying to look cool in the process, but I actually just want to experience this. And, uh, that's one of the cool things with the mace training is just having something completely new enter into my training methodologies while I have this different mindset. So I, I don't have an angry baseline for it. If that makes I, sense. I dig, I dig the mace training. Um, I want to learn more. I've, I, I picked up some onnit clubs and I had some melodies as well, but the on it, I really like the, the handle, how thick the handles are. And I've, you know, I do three sixty centitudes and I really have become a fan of the barbarian squat for most of my folks. Sold my power rack when I knew the gym was selling. I sold my power rack early on, and I basically rep- like in my progressions of squatting where I put the Zercher squat. I basically replaced the barbarian squat. That's what? that pullover squat. So oh, okay. The, so it's coming from behind the head, over and down. Yeah, you have to keep the you know, ribs have to stay flat as you go into that pullover position. Then you drive with the elbows down, and that sets you up uh, well for a squat following. You know, and so kind of. And uh, I've replaced. I've thrown that in there, and I've it's worked great, you know, cause I don't have a power rack anymore. And, and none of my folks, especially my older folks, most of my, most of my face to face folks are older or post rehab. So none of them quite had the ability to like to search her from the floor, you know, get the, get in position from the floor. Yeah. So I'd, I'd have them in and ran from a rack, you know, so that's basically what I use my rack for. And, um, so I basically replaced with that and, uh, I, I, I dig those, um, uh, 360s I do quite a bit of, but, but I haven't really taken it much deeper than that. But what I, what I've touched of them I liked, and uh, you know I like Indian clubs a lot. They're they're a favorite, but I love bells, and I would say that the God or Mace is somewhere in between those two for me. I would so. fully agree with that. It also jives really well with the with the DVRT Ultimate Sandbag stuff that I do. It it does seem. I, I admittedly haven't messed around with much other than 360s and 10 to twos, just because in some ways I just feel like, unless there's like, again, the, the barbarian squat, the leverage idea makes sense. Yeah. Just, I, just try it. I love it because you can just micro load it. Like if you need a little more load, you just creep your hands towards the bottom, towards the bottom of the handle. Yeah. And, and then bang, you get it and just, and just do it, but just be really, really mindful of that, that, that rib flare, you know, manage, manage your rib flare well and you'll, you'll feel a good load. It's fun. So. Yeah, I feel like some people might be. I feel like there's a effort to maybe overcomplicate the system to make it seem like it's deeper, and I don't necessarily know if it needs to be deeper. Does that make uh, sense? I, I agree completely. I mean, that's what I want for everything. Like the early RKC taught me that. Early Pavel's teachings taught me that. Is like I want everything through a Pavel RKC filter. Like what? Okay, you know, like, let's do let's do less things better. Yeah. What What are the core? What are the essential things that I need to do? Cool. Let's do that. I think I think I don't know much about original strength, but what I've seen of it, I think it works on the same model, doesn't it? I mean, like it does a few things very, very well, right? And then you just load you load what works, right? OS is very much based on uh, five resets and finding the right version of what they are to people. And the nice thing about that, and with I'll say this with with, with original strength and with Hankins DVRT program, for me they provide a bigger lens of what I'm trying to achieve, like my approach to an end goal. Then mm-hmm. I think I learned in the RKC, you know, if I think of like other than just programming and how to progress the big six, uh, those two systems really give me like a view. So this is, this is how I'm going to really approach, um, you know, the, the neurological component and the X patterning. And then this is how I'm going to progress movement. Cause like I know in, in ultimate sandbag training, I, I just did a, a, a video of it. If anybody's interested in DVRT, I did a video the other day. It, it, it's on my Facebook and a, a blog on my website, but you know, the thing that I love about what Josh has created is, is, is A, it's an odd object. B, it can get, you know, it doesn't have a, 
it's multidimensional in a sense. You have a lot of flexibility there and you can get in all the planes of motion. So it, by design and by the system, it allows you to, to add exercises and movements that make sense um, instead of just getting a heavier kettlebell or a heavier barbell. And I just find that so liberating right now and, Absolutely. and the carryover I'm feeling in my body. And, you know, there's crossovers between OS and, and, and DVRT too, that, you know, when you're handling a bag of sand, there's a reflexive strength response that just, it's not hard style. It, it can't be hundred percent hard style. And I think there's a, a, sometimes there's a limitation in hard style on its own, if that's all we're focusing on. Because I think there's been an overemphasis on the hard elements of that and not enough on the soft elements of that. Yeah, you shouldn't be squeezing your, your glutes to shut a car door. No, and, and you know, your shoulder blade's actually meant to move. So when you pack your, you know, like, there's always that like, okay, so I've literally, and I've, I've miscommunicated that I know over the past too. So it, it's those things. So as a package though, it becomes the filter of how you use all this. It becomes the filter of like, where do Indian clubs fit in this? Where does the mace fit in with all of this? And yep. so they start to be less about individual systems and more about, uh, I think the nice thing now that I have enough history in this is, uh, you know, it becomes my training philosophy as opposed to just one set of initials. But, uh, you know, I, I really hope we get to do OS and DVRT out to you because I think you'll... Yeah, it'll be fun. I can't wait. You'll get a kick out of it. And and OS in particular, somebody is actually just on the, the phone call earlier with somebody who's like, can you help people in their 70s? And I'm like, yes. And, you know, very quickly, yes. And OS really, without load, provides the groundwork for that. And then everything else fills in the blanks if we're, not, if we're going to start looking at load as, as one of the uh, elements in it. That's something that my partner and I, Aaron Abolich there at ACWA Tulsa, that's something that we've kind of a model that we're kind of putting forth that we're playing with is what we call the RSP model or restore, strengthen and protect. And what that is, it's not like a new system with new stuff. It's just a way for us that have been in the game for a little bit to go like, man, we got all this material. Like, how do I actually apply it? So back to my argument that we need more transformation. It just gives us a simple tools of like, how do we get back there? So R is restore, S is strengthen, and P is protect. It's reminiscent of the FMS model, right? So you restore, you know, you restore a pattern, you know, you you model a pattern, and then you load it to keep it. That would be the strengthen component. And then you challenge that pattern with something either through load or through precision, you challenge the pattern, which will be protect. So you do that, but it's also a model for the macrocosm of our school. Cause we have the self-defense component. Then we have restorative elements. Obviously we have strength elements, obviously. So it kind of works on that macro and that micro level. So that's something we'd be kind of playing with. And it's just, that's why we're, we're being very purposeful on the workshops that we bring in because we're doing, here's some restorative workshops we're bringing in. We're bringing in some strengthening workshops. So like, so our coaches that we, we affiliate with can kind of get the same vibe and uh, start looking at things the same way. Cause it just gets, it just makes life much, much simpler. You know, it, it also gets muddy when people just bring in courses for the sake of bringing in courses sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. when I work with friends like that gets, that gets, that gets great where the staff starts to get a little lost, I think. You know, sure. Some of the bigger box gyms that I have friends that, that you know, there, there could be a different course, two courses a month or something, you know, and you get pulled apart without having practical application time or, or seeing threads, right? You need to see those connecting the dots between all the, all the layers and all the threads. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to weave a greater community kind of following those models because that's what we want to, we want to see those things, you know? So obviously our protection, our P in our, in our model is always going to be for a while is going to be ACWA material because that's, you know, our founder, Justin Everman, 
He'd be a great guy to get on, by the way. Connect me. Don't know him. You'll, you will. You'll, you'll dig him. <laughs> cool. Great guy. Did he pay uh, for a wedding or a bar mitzvah with toys from the 80s? Uh, no, okay. but he may, he may have been a spy in the 80s. Like, you know, so I'm not sure. Uh, neat dude. Check him out. But anyway, he um, that would be our protection model. And then we bring in like OS or bring in Indian clubs for some of our restore work. And then, of course, strengthen. We'll, we'll have some Karen Smith's going to come out and do some uh, strong first material and course i have a little bit of that as well in there in the mix but so we'll, we'll mix all those things in and we we do that what's great though is what we found is you know nearly everyone needs some kind of restorative work but sometimes they get locked in and all they're going to do is restorative work like that's their new hobby like you know i'm, I'm broken and i'm proving i'm broken and i'm gonna do some more broken stuff i'm like yeah that's that doesn't ever last you know you need to kind of progress through but what we're noticing is like we're getting tons of folks come into coming in for a self-defense class, reality-based self-defense, or coming in for that. And they go, man, man this doesn't quite feel right. My shoulder kind of hurts, or this doesn't quite work well. It's like, well, are you cleared by the doctor? Sure. All right, well, let's try this. And then you give them something restorative, or you give them something to strengthen. And like, you know, oh. So we're actually, we're actually letting people move and feel better, like we always, helping people move and feel better, like we always want to do. But it's just like, they would never approach us if it wasn't from the self-defense angle. So we're getting to talk to people we've never talked to before. And that's a, that's a neat neat thing to see and uh, aaron was all over it he was like this is what's going to work we're going to draw people in i didn't quite buy it i just wanted to be a part of it and then uh, a couple of events now where we've had at the riverwalk there and uh good talk some people that would never approach me to go like what's that bell thing you have or what's that club thing you have what are you doing there yeah that would never because they thought it was a weapon right basically but like they would yeah. never do it but then here i am teaching swings or you know teaching club movement number two you know on the street, you know, it's like, however they come into the door, if you can prove it to them, right. To get that, it's two things. It's sort of buy-in, but more importantly, before it's like an implementer system buy-in it's, it's trust in you. Yeah. And I think that's the missing thing. And, and, and I totally get what you're saying about there's people that get so down the, the, the restorative corrective exercises rabbit hole. that mm-hmm. it's like, we also need to move, you know, like you're not going to clear up everybody's scores, assessment scores in a session. And we still need to lift and we still need to move around. We just have to do the safest, you know, process going forward. But it, it can't just all be this because quite frankly, they're not, at least for me, they're not, a, I'm not a physical therapist. They're not paying me. For exactly. That. It's outside, outside our scope of practice and, and trainers and planning to remember that, but we, we ran into it as well where I kind of ran into a glut where I was getting a lot of post rehabs because I had some success, which is nice, you know? Um, and I like the, I like the credit that PTs and docs gave me by sending people to me that made me feel good. But the problem that I ran into is a lot of times these folks, you know, they, they may have taken, you know, 15 years to get broken. Now they're broken. Now they're through their broken phase, but they're still lingering, hanging on to that because at some point their physical hobby, their physical vocation became being, you know, a bad, a bum knee or a hurt back. And that's their hobby. And so there's nothing to compare it to, right? There's nothing to kind of improve from. So like, but those are like, I want to go fly fishing again, man, we're, we're going to make, we're going to make great progress, you know? And so it was nice kind of like seeing that. So like, I think this plays into that element quite a bit and Aaron proved that to me. He's like, you know, if you don't have a fitness hobby, self-defense is a pretty good fitness hobby. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, like it's, it's actually purposeful. So if you don't, if you're, if your goal is just to get fit, maybe add a little edge to that and like learn how to defend yourself and your family and get home safe, you know? I think it's easier for train easy for trainers to because because something actually drew us into this. Mm-hmm. To realize that like you know uh, 
people will put off being in pain because they just have no interest in going to a gym. Whereas for us, that looks like, why are you living in pain? Why are you limiting things? Like, we just don't look like an option that they want anything to do with sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't mean like physically or whatever, just as a field, right. they're not looking at it that way. And right. it's nice when you have those moments where you, have, you get kind of get out of your own shoes and go like, huh, you know, I'm sure you're getting some lessons in your own uh, fitness right now going through what you're going through. I know yeah. suddenly when I had tremors and I sort of had a, I couldn't find any paradigm, any, any, any real information on how to train with tremors. There was right. really nothing out there. So I just started figuring out like what, you know, closed chain and open chain, you know, bilateral, unilateral movements worked. Um, because I couldn't do like a one arm press because I needed the other arm to help stabilize. Like, right. and but I had the wherewithal and the interest in that to begin with, whereas somebody on the street just be like, Oh shit. Like, I guess I need to have a heavy spoon. You know, if somebody has essential tremors, they're like, yeah, you're, you're going to end up with like, you know, there's a handful of options and you're probably going to end up weighing down your cutlery. So right. it, it resists the tremors more as opposed to actually having a path of like, maybe this. Right. Uh, and it's very evident. If you want, want a good example of that, you sit in a dialysis room for a few hours. You ever been to a dialysis room? no, it's like a, a dialysis center is kind of like having surgery at a bus stop three times a week. Okay. And so like, I got to find a way to help these folks, but you know, it's, you, you sit there and like, you know, there's, there's always half as, I don't want to say this. There's a lot of missing limbs. I was trying to think of some way clever to say it, but that's the problem. It's just, there's a lot of missing limbs because typically what goes along Typically, the majority of dialysis patients are there for diabetes because their kidneys fail because of advanced stage diabetes. And so uh, they aren't in the best health, and they put you in a chair on you, and they hook you up to the machine. It makes a lot of noise. And then they, what do they do? They whirl a TV in front of you, you know, and put it right in your face. It's on a big crane arm. And that's what you're supposed to do for the next three and a half, four hours is watch TV. And you get up and then, you know, the majority of people there are not ambulatory. So they need help out and they have a driver. I didn't find out. I didn't find out to my second week that I was supposed to be driving myself. So after dialysis, I've been driving myself. It's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to. And I've had to get a ride a few times like last week. Um, where like, you know, they'll, my blood pressure will crash. I'm going to get a little aggressive on the, uh, I'll take him fluid off and my blood pressure will crash and you know, then it's not safe for me to drive, but I've got to find a way to help those folks. But that was, that's what you see there, Steve is like, it's just like, um, they live for the disease. It's the crappiest part-time job I can imagine. And that's what they live for is live there to be that, to watch that TV and like, got to figure out a way to help these folks. I haven't quite figured it out yet and put your brain on it. Cause we got to, there's, there's some help there. So. But uh, maybe, maybe there's like a little cross thing we can put together here. There might be a, where these two things meet. Yeah. So, but, uh, I love you. We've been Look. on for a while. It's time to, uh, we should start yeah. wrapping this up. Yep. Um, who was your favorite GI Joe character? This is important. Probably snake eyes or probably more. Did you remember the, um, you could send in a, you send in a form and you can make your own GI Joe. You remember that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I haven't thought had, about had that. The helmet, had like, had, had like had beachheads jacket on and like, like the urban camo pants. Remember that? And you get yeah. a name, and, you fix back and all that stuff. Remember all that? 
Yeah, I totally forgot about that. The mail-in <laughs> figure thing was so cool. Hold on one second. Someone just to call in. Uh, the mail-in figure aspect of any of those toys was, was such a, a thing, and I forgot how many there were of those. Like Cobra Commander was a mail-in. Sergeant Slaughter was originally a mail-in, I think. Yeah, that's Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, the Fridge. Remember, Fridge was a GI. Remember? <laughs> the darker times of that the fridge yeah. was such a I had a mace with a with a football on the end I remember. yeah and then they had a you know slaughters marauders uh from that movie and cobra law and all that stuff yeah, uh, but, 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 you know, so that was probably my favorite gi joe to answer your question was probably the one that i made so his name was night ranger i remember i made him night ranger so so <laughs> sister christian was his yeah, exactly right <laughs> 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 uh i i would go with with, with snake eyes and yeah. snake eyes is just uh, that's that's easy though that's it, easy. it really is but you know the, the 80s that time that that was coming out like uh you have to go back in the head that that was when ninjas were like sort of first awareness and the coolest yeah i was an uh, i was i was totally a ninja kid like go the go to the store every month to get the ninja magazine order a grappling hook out of the back of the ninja magazine have a complete orbital fracture because of the grappling hook <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how we got them, but we would occasionally get like, you know, throwing stars. I don't know how oh. we got them. They were so illegal in New York, even then. My, my my neighbor next door was a pipe welder. So he had all these pipe racks and had a big fence behind it. So me and my friends, we would run back and forth on the pipe rack and throw ninja stars at each other because they would stick <laughs> the fence behind. I don't know how we're still alive. It's nutty. You know? I know. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know when I got, I can't even tell you how old I was when I got my first like sort of butterfly knife. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what is this? It's like, oh, it's easy. It does it itself. Like, you're like, the next thing you know, the blade's on your hand. You're like, okay, that didn't work. Yeah. And I had no, I have no idea how he came upon it. I was like somebody's brother somewhere. Um, and, you know, fireworks were funny because I remember actually, I think he got arrested for it eventually. But like one of the local cops, uh, uh, their daughter was in the school and their whole garage would be basically set up as a fireworks sales thing um selling to us <laughs> and at the time you know when it's weird when you're a parent you look back and you're like at the time it didn't seem so sketchy it was just like cool he he's a fire yeah. he's a cop he's got access to all these things and now as an adult i'm like if they were selling to my kids <laughs> like, what are you doing yeah it's a different age man it's a different age we we used to take the saturn rockets and nail them to a board you know the Saturn rockets, so you know, like the the bank of rockets, right? Like twenty five or the hundreds, fifties. Yeah. You know, we would put a big nail in and nail them to a board, and we stand in the back of a friend's pickup. I and mean, we're like fourteen. I had a hardship license, you know, and and we would drive and all that stuff. But we're driving down this little this little town in Pampa, Texas, where I grew up, and we're standing in the back of the truck with those Saturn rockets, like like rocket launchers, like shooting in people's yards and stuff. And like, didn't even think of like, you know, we're going to cause a fire. Like, no, we didn't think that at all. So I, I know I I. I um... I guess statute of limitations. I actually caught a, started a fire unintentionally at our local sump. Like we used to hang out like the, I, the sump, I guess they're like water reserves, like in, in the suburbs, you know, so overflow water would catch in there. And then, you know, so it'd be like a big pit and that's where we would build like the, you know, that's where we would go drink. That's where we would rock fight. That's where we would sled. That's where we'd set BMX tracks. That was just like the spot. And uh, incidentally, started a fire there once. No, nobody was hurt. No property damage, other than inside the sump. But, but that's also like you know rock fights. You know, like that was a thing. Um, we were just rewatched. Was it it movie? It and they have a big rock fight. Uh, yeah. I'm like that sounds horrible. I don't want my kids having rock fights <laughs> or, or Roman candle fights. Let's, let's avoid that too for my kid. I appreciate oh, that. I totally forgot about that stuff. It's like you don't want to shelter your kids, but then you sometimes you're like, we were really dumb. 
Yeah. And we had no, like, there was no, like, immediate call for help either because there's no cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just out. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, where can people go uh, to follow you, find out how to, how to help you out? If you happen to be a living donor, um, what's the best way to reach you? And we'll put this um, in the show comments as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a Facebook group, just DustinRipito.com or Dustin uh, Ripito, uh, in-stage kidney disease support. Um, either one of those will work. WayOfStrength.com will also point you there as well. And I'm sure you'll share the links if I give them to you as well, won't you? Yes, just send me an, e- uh, an email with everything, and I'll be sure to put it up. Yep. And, um, and Mayo, Mayo Clinic, uh, MayoClinic.org um, backslash living donor is a great way to find out about all the donor stuff. I think you went there and watched the videos. Yeah, and I think they're pretty, pretty of Yeah, so that was a nice, nice treasure there to find that. So that's kind of what's going on there. So awesome. Well, uh, we're going to have to make these certs happen. I got to come out. Uh, I want to hang out. I'll drag him with me too. So that absolutely got to bring Kim because uh, a few extra days, I, you know, uh, Kim and I are long past due for, uh, like coffee after a show somewhere. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, give, give my best love to the kids and I'll see you soon, man. Likewise. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glenngurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voice over by Laura Palmer.